Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about how important is it to own your own family home. So uh, that is to be an owner as opposed to a, a renter. And when I say how important is it, I'm really referring to how is Im- how important is it from a financial perspective. Because of course, you as an individual will decide, you know, what are your lifestyle goals? That's not for me as a financial planner to decide on, but really purely from a financial consideration. Of course, in this podcast, that's all I can really talk about uh, because everyone's desires and goals and so forth are, are different. But of course, it's always referred to as the great Australian dream, that is owning your own he- uh, debt-free, gives you a bit of financial security, and certainly over the past uh, number of decades, uh, a lot of homeowners have enjoyed uh, rising prices. You think about the baby boomer generation, they've uh, accidentally created a lot of wealth in their family home as a result of buying property 20, 30, 40 years ago. So what I wanted to do then is just discuss some of the pros and cons of either renting or owning um, to sort of uncover or at least highlight uh, some of the common considerations and and factors that uh, I think people need to take into account and and certainly some of the the common things that I've either thought about myself in my own personal situation uh, or and or discussed with clients over the last 20 years. So the first point I would like to make is the biggest negative with renting, in my opinion, is that you're not going to utilise the main residence capital gains tax exemption. Now, there's very few things in life that are tax-free. Of course, we most of us know that if we make a capital gain on our home, so our own occupy home, we don't pay capital gains on capital gains tax on that, and that's referred to as the main residence capital gains tax exemption. Now, of course, we don't buy a home necessarily to build wealth. There's lots of considerations that you need to take into account when buying a home, including you know being close to family, schooling, a lot of lifestyle considerations. However, it can be a great plan B. So that is that if we buy a home in a really good quality area and enjoy a lot of capital growth on a tax-free basis... And everything else goes wrong. Super returns are terrible. You know, we don't have a lot of surplus cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. At least in 10 to 20 years time, you'll have a lot of equity to fall back on in your family home. And as I've spoken about in this podcast previously, is I try to counsel my clients to take an investment lens towards their home purchase where possible. It's not always possible, but quite often um, the things that make an area investable Uh, mean that they tend to have very wide appeal and they're very livable locations. And so for most people, they can tick both boxes. They can buy something that's going to be an otherwise great investment and also then occupy it. And it can be, uh, for a lot of people, their best investment from a returns perspective on on an after-tax basis. Now, it is possible to still utilise the main residence exemption and rent So there's a rule called the six-year rule, which suggests that if you move out of your primary place of residence and don't claim another property as a primary place of residence, so you go on rent, for example, that you have up to six years to still continue to claim that main residence exemption. So for example, I go and buy a property today. I move into that property and I genuinely occupy it for, say, the next six months. 
I change my electoral role, I have utilities, you know, I'm actually living in that property. And, and then in six months' time, I decide, okay, I'm going to move out, I'm going to rent somewhere else. And, and I do that. If I do that, I can continue to claim the main residence exemption on that property, even though I'm renting out and earning income from it and enjoying negative gearing benefits and so forth. And then before that six-year period elapses or, or finishes, if I then go and move back into the property again and live in it for, another, say, another six months and then move out again, that, that six-year period starts once again. Or I have to sell it before that six-year period is up in order to get the main residence exemption. If I don't sell it or reoccupy it before that six years is up, well, then I've lost the total exemption and really the capital gains tax starts from when I initially rented out the property. So when considering whether to rent or buy a home, one of the big factors I think that most people should take into account is how we're going to, within our strategy, how we're going to utilise the main residence exemption because ultimately it gives us one property where we can enjoy uh, hopefully a lot of capital growth and not pay any capital gains tax. Now, I should say it's worth noting that land tax is different to capital gains tax. Land tax is a state-based legislation. It's not federal-like capital gains tax. And whilst uh, all states don't charge land tax on a a property that you occupy, the capital gains tax rules don't apply with respect to how land tax is levied. So in that situation, that example that I just gave you, I would still have to pay land tax on that property because I'm not genuinely occupying it for that six-year period. Uh, So, of course, in in that situation, we can't always utilise the main residence exemption for land tax all the time, but we can potentially utilise it for capital gains tax. And so I don't know if it's a negative with renting, but um, because you can, as I just explained, you can actually utilise it uh, if you use that six-year rule. But it's one of the big considerations that, you know, if people say, look, I'm going to rent and I'm never going to own a home, that, that's fine, but see if you can still work in the main residence exemption into your strategy. Now, the next pro and con I'd like to talk about is what happens if you want to live in a location that wouldn't otherwise make a great investment. As I said at the beginning, I like to counsel my clients to take an investment lens towards their own occupy uh, home purchase. So as I said, they can get good capital growth uh, on a tax-free basis and it's a great plan B if everything else goes wrong. However, if I've got a client that wants to live in the middle of nowhere and that's not going to make a good investment, then renting as opposed to buying actually might be a better use of equity and cash flow and borrowing capacity and so forth. Now, the next advantage of renting is that you might be able to live in a particular location that you wouldn't be able to otherwise afford to buy in. So firstly, the the cash flow costs can be cheaper, but particularly given interest rates have risen so much over the last uh, 12 to 13 months. Of course, uh, renting can be a lot more cost-effective than than owning, particularly that you don't have to pay for any of the maintenance costs and so forth. And then secondly, you might not have enough equity or borrowing capacity to be able to buy a home in that particular location. So then renting uh, can be a better option. So in that situation, you might be actually better off renting a, a family home or a home that meets your current needs uh, and then buying a downsizer property, maybe in that location or as a, a good a quality location uh, that you can afford. And therefore, you rent for that period of time. And then perhaps if you've got a family, you've got kids, when they're older and they've moved out of home, uh, you can stop renting and move into that property that you previously purchased, the, the smaller 
property, but albeit still in hopefully a, a good quality location. And therefore, in that situation, renting can be uh, superior because it accommodates your needs that that are, that are necessary for a period of time when your family is relatively young, but you still have some sort of ownership that you can fall back on to. Of course, you need to be careful about uh, living beyond your means with this strategy. So sometimes it's nice to live in a particular location, but not all of us can afford to live in our first choice location, uh, whether that being renting or owning. And if renting sucks out really too much cash flow and it's not really affordable or, or um, reasonable to, to be spending that much money on accommodation, uh, then you've got to really come to terms with that. Spending beyond your means is never a good idea and you're always going to have to pay the piper eventually. I mean, you can kick the can down the road, but the consequences will come upon you eventually. So I guess be realistic. Now, another consideration could be if you can actually afford to buy a, a home in your first choice location, but it gives rise to what you would consider to be too much debt. So that is you've got the equity and borrowing capacity and cash flow to be able to afford in the location that you really want to live in. But you're worried about, you know, how are we eventually going to be able to repay that, that loan? Well, it's possible that you could use a sort of downsizing strategy to accommodate that. So, for example, if you go and buy a large family home in a, in a really good blue chip suburb, let's say it costs $4 million dollars but it actually gives rise to a, a really huge home loan, say $2.5 million home loan, which in anyone's language is a, is a lot of non-deductible debt and can be time-consuming and costly to repay. But let's assume that what you do is you go and buy this $4 million home and all you do is service that $2.5 million debt. That's all your aim is to do. And you uh, keep that home for 15 years and then in order to repay the debt, you downsize at that stage. So once kids are finished school and you don't need as much accommodation size, you can start making some compromises on those sorts of things. In 15 years, even if it grows at, say, 6.5%, that property is going to be worth $10 million. And even if you haven't repaid a cent off the mortgage, you're still going to walk away with $7.5 million of cash in the bank, you know, because you're not paying any capital gains tax. So in that sort of situation, sometimes uh, buying can be better, even if it does give rise to a large amount of non-tax deductible debt, and even if there's not a, a lot of prospect in being able to repay that debt in full by the time you get to retirement, as long as you can make friends with downsizing the property eventually, it can be a really good investment. As I said, in that situation, you own a property for 15 years, you know, it can make you quite a bit of money. And notwithstanding, you get to tick off the lifestyle goal of about living in a particular location with a particular size of accommodation. Now, one of the common disadvantages of renting, which uh, clients often talk to me about, is schooling. If a client wants to send their kids to a particular school and they need to be in a particular school zone, obviously this is uh, more appropriate if it's a public school, but even private school just from a a locality and convenience perspective, that if they go and rent a, a property, that if the landlord turns around in 12 months' time and decides to not no longer rent that property, they then find themselves in a situation where they've got to go and find comparable accommodation within relatively close proximity where they currently live. And that uncertainty and that lack of security worries people quite a bit. 
Uh, and so in that situation, owning the property gives you that level of security. And this is not really a financial consideration per se, but it is something that clients often sort of talk about. One of the negatives with owning your own home is the cost associated with that. So quite often we think about the cost of owning our home is the loan repayments and the interest, you know, which isn't tax deductible, of course. But also it's very easy to overlook how much we spend on maintenance and improvements and how many trips to Bunnings we make and so forth over the years. So quite often people look at their home and say, oh, I bought it for X and now it's worth Y. And they might just uh, incorrectly assume that all that has just been capital growth. But really over the years, we've been spending money on maintaining the property. And we do it obviously because we want to live in a nice home and we want to make improvements and we want the, the enjoyment and utility from doing that. But if we look at from a financial perspective and how much is that property really costing us and how much growth has come from just organic capital growth versus, you know, maintenance and improvements that we've done over the period of time. And we tend to spend a lot more on our family home than what we would if it was, say, an investment property or so forth. I mean, that just makes sense, right? But I think it's good to be realistic about that uh, and realistic about, you know, how much money do you really spend on just making those sorts of improvements that you wouldn't otherwise make or you would be less tempted to make, of course, uh, if you were a renter. And the final observation that I'd like to leave you with is, and this is really from my experience over the last 20 years of dealing with clients, when a client tells me that they're very comfortable renting indefinitely, like they have no emotional or financial desire to own their own home, I know I tell myself eventually they're going to change their mind because in every situation, in every occurrence that's happened over the last 20 years where a client has told me that, uh, in every situation, eventually they've come back to me and said, oh, Stuart, we're not happy renting anymore. We want to buy a home. So every time I develop a strategy, I'm thinking at some point, eventually, we're going to need to go and buy a family home. And I need to make sure that the financial strategy accommodates that. So just be realistic that whilst today you might go, well, look, I'm happy to rent for the rest of my life. I'm telling you in my experience at some point, you're probably, you know, there's a 99% probability you're going to change your mind. Of course, you know, leave room, there's 1% that maybe you won't. But in my experience, that's the case. And, you know, it, it depends on where you want to live. So if I know that a client will eventually want to live in a, a good quality blue chip area, then I just start thinking to myself, the sooner I buy that asset, even if I don't occupy it, but the sooner I buy that asset, the better off I am. Because we've got to pay for a home on using after-tax dollars, which is quite expensive, right? We use our savings and our cash flow and, and so forth. And so we also know that you know, if I want to buy a, a home in a, a blue-chip suburb, that it's very likely it's going to cost me a lot, lot more in 10, 20 years from now than what it would today. And, and all that additional cost needs to come from after-tax dollars, so in that situation, if I know that I'm going to need or want to buy a home in the future and it's going to be in a good quality location, then really the sooner I can buy that property, the better off I will be, or at least it minimizes risk within the strategy. However, if you think you want to live or potentially when you, if and when you change your mind and you want a home and that if you think that home is going to be in the middle of nowhere and maybe the cost won't be so substantial, well, then you just need to make sure that you're going to have enough financial resources to be able to afford it. 
But I think for those people that are thinking of rent investing, you know, renting for the rest of their lives and, and then just investing elsewhere, just be realistic. My, my, I would counsel you to try and be as realistic as possible and, and really ask yourself, what if? What if we do change our mind? How does our strategy accommodate that? Okay, so to summarize it, the, the, there's really two points that I'd like to leave you with. The first one is try and take advantage of the main residence capital gains tax exemption within your strategy. You might still be able to rent and, and do that, but really just think about how you're going to utilize that, that tax-free exemption uh, because it will be well, well worth your while. And secondly, as I just discussed, eventually most people will want to own their own home. So just make sure that your strategy will accommodate that, will have enough flexibility to be able to allow you to do that. So to sum it all up, I don't think it's absolutely critical that people need to own their own home. In fact, they can rent for the rest of their lives and financially it can work out. I just think that there's some positives associated with buying in a good quality area, enjoying that tax-free capital growth, enjoying that gearing early on in life to sort of leverage that growth as well. And then there's also some added lifestyle considerations or benefits that go along with it. So I think it would suit most people, but no, I don't think it's absolutely financially critical that you own your own home. Okay, that's it for me for this week. Until next week, bye for now.